right, so so let, let, let's get this on the record here. Explain to me, an ignorant fool, why it's not funny that there are a bunch of black superheroes with electric powers. Okay, so this is a, one of my stupid little pet peeves. It's Oh, no, it's we never of, do stupid pet peeves on this show. It's it's one of those, like, technically true, but you're not as clever as you think you are for noticing it sort of things, where if I told you, hey, why do all cars from Volkswagen have a VW on the front? You, <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't be surprised at me if I called you an idiot, because yeah, no shit. Yeah, By the same yeah, right. token, we have this idea of, like, <laughs> boy Corey calls him nigawatts and <laughs> and the more common term is the electric micro <laughs> do I have to censor myself laughing at that I don't you can do what you want to man <laughs> this is for posterity the idea that it's a common quote unquote trope that a black person will have electric powers the problem with this is is that there's a lot of examples that I would say don't actually count for reasons so we go back to the quote source we have uh, Black Lightning, made by right. Trevor Von Eden and Tony Isabella in, I want to say, 77? Apparently the, the same year Star Wars came out, so that's, you know, point of reference for you kids. Uh, for DC Comics, their first black superhero who has his own book. Not the first black superhero ever, or the first black comic book character ever, but the first black um, starring character in DC Comics. He has lightning by the powers. Way, the initial design? It's fucking cool. It is like, one of those. It is one of those looks that does not uh, live very long. No, uh, no. It's it's a it's a puffy parachute jacket which is black on the back and white and blue on the front. It's got lightning bolts delineating the line between them, and it's open to the navel and it's got a high collar. And I fucking love it. <laughs> you know that afro? That's not yeah. his hair. That's not his hair. What? <laughs> because Jefferson Pierce, upper middle class, you know, educated man, one to you know disguised himself very effectively. He had like a, you know, jive talking hip cat, you know, speech pattern. Oh no. And he had a wig attached to his domino mask. Oh so, no. See, this is it. Uh, there's some interesting things you can read about like Trevor Von Eden, the black artist who worked on Black Lightning, who's like, I feel like there should have been more said about that. Like there should, there was a, <laughs> there was a conversation to be had, but we didn't have it. So back to these two, right? Uh, mm-hmm. During this time period, and this is me doing a lot of conjecture, but makes sense, uh, I guess people were getting more aware of the fact that writers and artists were getting screwed by the major publishers, and yeah. part of this you could attribute to like Neil Adams being a big rabble-rouser during those days, but for whatever reason, Tony Isabella cut a deal when he cre- when he basically came in as like a consultant to make Black Lightning. This is the guy who had written... uh He'd written on Luke Cage. He had done work in uh, Tomb of Dracula. He, had, you know, he's he's uh, he made Misty Knight. He's got some experience in that. He's their fat Italian guy who comes and writes black people for them, I guess. Right. Uh, and he comes in, and whatever deal he cuts, they owe him money if they use black lightning and things. And this is where it starts. Uh, Hanna Barbera wants to make the Super Friends cartoon, and they eventually get around like three seasons later to say, "Let's add some, you know, not white people." And this is where you get, you know, uh, Apache Chief and Samurai and El Dorado. You get them, and they're like, can we use Black Lightning? Or would we have to pay Tony Isabella 10%? Okay, well, let's just put some stuff on the side of his head, like invert his colors, call him Black Vulcan. And they send him on his way. So now you have the first, second electric Negro character who happens to just be a blatant ripoff. Because Black Vulcan's mm-hmm. not a character. 
Here's let me tell you everything there is to say about Black Vulcan. Uh, Black Vulcan may or may not have been an electrician because apparently one time he welded something with lightning. Uh, and whoever he is, he doesn't have a secret identity. Whoever he is, he must be trustworthy because Batman trusts him. That is all that has been written about Black Vulcan. It's on the back of his action figure. That's it. Oh. <laughs> it's Super Friends, so... so- <laughs> so, uh, for, for, for anyone who keeps score on these things, um, the Wikipedia entry for Black Vulcan has more to say about his appearances in Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, than <laughs> any of his other appearances. Like, that's, that was... if you're the kind of person who looks to the bulk of a cannon, that's where, that's where Black Vulcan really lives. There was, um, a really cool idea that, uh, apparently Alex Ross had where he wanted to fold him into the, uh, Shazam family. Just call him Vulcan, and you know. Oh, that'd be cool. It's some cool ass art too, but um, that never came up. Because 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 you got the lightning ball, and you got the connection to existing mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. actually really cool. Too bad it didn't happen. God damn. Right. Okay. So then you have Black Vulcan, and he gets kind of he, he lasts for a long, and that's the thing that has in people's memory. Uh, I don't know if I'd count Storm because Storm has Storm powers, but yeah, sure, let's count her. Then. Uh, you get Juice. Now, Juice is an homage character to Black Vulcan, who showed up in Justice League Unlimited. He had right. maybe two lines. He had a vaguely Super Friends-esque outfit. Again, so, not, re- not really a character, and also an homage to a ripoff. Then right. you have... So, so at this point, this character is essentially a photocopy of a photocopy. Mm-hmm. Then you get Soul Power and Static. And I'm not mentioning Static because... I'm gonna get to static in a minute. Soul Power is a black lightning explicit like reference that because they could still couldn't use him because they still didn't want to pay Tony Isabella. So they just have Soul Power. And he's just and he even has the same costume, just with the colors like fucked with. Like where black lightning was black and blue, he's red and green. There you go. Then you get his kids. And I, I, I think that doesn't count either. You have Thunder and Lightning, who are the children of Black Lightning. Then, you have, uh, this is where you get into Static. So Static is a character who, not necessarily an homage, but clearly, like, has a certain degree of, like, reference and throwback to Black Lightning. So now we're down to three and two halves, maybe four, if we're counting Thunder and Lightning. Yeah. Two of which are connected. The only other one I'll give is, I guess, Jaquin Thunder? who inherited the Thunderbolt from Johnny Thunder, who doesn't have lightning power, he just has genie powers. Because the fucking genie happens to be shaped like a Thunderbolt. Mm. But all of this uh, just by the comes... Way, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hung up on this stuff about Black Vulcan, by the way. Because yes. Black Vulcan's voice actor mm-hmm. in the Super Friends mm-hmm. was this guy called Buster Jones. Eh. Buster <laughs> Jones is a better name for a black superhero than Black Vulcan. Buster Jones is a, well, Buster Jones is a good name for a person. And also a dog. I had a dog named Buster. It's a good dog. Yeah, nice. Also, uh, Big giant afro. Interconnecting this to the greater continuity of things that piss Clay off, uh, the final incarnation of Super Friends, the Super Powers team, Galactic Guardians, who replaced Black Vulcan? Yeah, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was Cyborg. (laughs) <laughs> I'm pretty sure either Marv Wolfman or Tony Isabella or both of them also worked on Cyborg. So how about that? Marv <laughs> Wolfman made Cyborg and Blade. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> where does that leave us, man? Where does that leave us? 
fans of an industry that's mostly run by a bunch of 70-year-olds? Uh, who even knows, bro? But no, that's the whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. You have this extensive attempts to like not pay this one guy, and that's why we have all of, quote-unquote, these Black Lightning people. Not because of some weird racism thing. It's because DC and the companies they pay don't want to pay their creators. And that's not even yeah. getting into how, like, potentially shafted Trevor Von Eden got to. There's a whole argument to be had about how, even though Tony Isabella was kind of on his point of saying, no, fuck you, give me my money, there's a lot to be said that he probably didn't treat Trevor Von Eden fair in his own right. So, you know, yeah. in the interest of, you know, presenting himself, from preventing himself from getting shafted, to a certain degree, shafted someone else. But Von Eden's name is on the show, like, titles and on all the, you know, based on material titles. So he's getting his credit in that regard. I don't know if he's getting paid, but he's getting credit. Took yeah. a while. And, and, and in and fact, so this is this is one of the things about that trope that gets kind of like a meta mistake. People learn the myth and they never bother to look it up. Like right. they don't and then it, be, and it becomes a joke. Like there was there was a joke character who did that in fucking Irredeemable. He's like, "Oh, I'm a black guy with yeah. black powers." Ha ha ha. Like this is written by a person in the industry. He should know better. <laughs> He should be like, like he could have made the joke more like involved, you know, like oh, I would have been this or that, but someone stole well, my, you know, licensing for my name. Vault, the thing with Vault is Vault is aware enough of it to make fun of the trope, but yeah, not but- not aware enough that anyone sat back and said, "Hey, do we want to make a reference to getting paid and whatnot?" <laughs> uh, yeah, like I, all he had to do was say, like, "Well, I wouldn't." have... I would have had some other powers, but, you know, it was licensing issues, so I got these lightning powers. Something! Something! And, and, and also, while I'm, while I'm taking pot shots at Mark Wade for Irredeemable, which otherwise I really like, um, he, he does also disable the black guy and have that black guy comment of like, oh, I see, the black guy gets a disability. Yep, 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 yep. So, it's yeah, like, not a, it's, not it's a like good the look, thing Mark. in horror. Where they go, hey, why does the black guy always die in a horror movie? Well, because everybody who isn't the main character is expendable, and black people are not allowed to be main characters in these movies. So that's why. If the answer is still racism, but not the way you're thinking. It's not because the writers don't like black people. They probably don't, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point there's a, there's is... A similar thing, there's a similar thing of, like, why aren't lesbians and, and gay characters represented, and why, are the, why is there all this really weird, schmaltzy pulp with this one really specific plot structure uh, around. It's because in order to make queer and lesbian and, and, and gay media during the 1950s through to the 1990s, because it still went on till then, they had to be able to prove that the work that they were creating was, quote-unquote, a morality tale. <laughs> so that's why we have this history of like, well, all the gay people get stuffed in the fridge at the end of the story. It's because that's the only way you could get it. To be- like, there are laws and they're all from this one unutterable dickhead with a really big mustache named um, Chester Comstock. I think his name is. Really? Yeah, yeah. And and this guy, this guy was a piece of shit. Like I I, I try to I try to be fairly fairly um, uh, gentle when I'm talking about some historical figures. Like I don't want to be the guy from 2018 saying, "Oh, look at these idiots! They didn't know about antibiotics." <laughs> I, but but um, Comstock. Who, who was named? His name was used for Bioshock Infinite. Another tie into racism, uh, <laughs> but uh, Comstock was a super conservative Christian who felt it was his job to impose his morality on everyone around him. 
and he wound up becoming uh, basically the postmaster general for the United States, and therefore he got to set the rules about what was illegal to transmit or broadcast from place to place. So he would do things like break open people's mail and look for dirty letters between women, and he would uh, he would censor Jeez, passages of medical textbooks that depicted uh, genitals or described sex. Um, He would write letters. He he would write letters pretending to be a uh, a woman seeking contraceptive help to doctors, and the doctors would. And and when the doctors sent back letters saying, "Look, the law says this, this, and this. Your options are this, this, and this," or you know what you've described is this condition, he would then have the doctor arrested for sending obscene mail. This guy was horrible. And his moral standards were part of the American uh, censorship and uh, uh, media standards up until the nineties. Mm. It's some shit, man. And oh, it's wait, annoying hey, like, that this is that? like <laughs> the podcast's starting. <laughs> That's how we do it. Yeah, that, that, I, I think that's how it happens. The, the podcast start just pulled up. Hey, everyone! This is from the rooftop, a podcast about superheroes. That's Clay. <laughs> that's Talon. We're yeah, see, hopping on the podcast quick, and so driving you away. Time to think of a joke. He's <laughs> uh, saving y'all from me, people. <laughs> so, uh, preemptive apology if there's a little extra background noise in this episode. I'm sorry. It's an air conditioner. I'm not turning it off for you people. It's really hot here. Also, he just doesn't like you all individually, personally. He told me. Yep, 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 yep. Especially the cyborg fans. He insulted all of your mothers, so you don't have to think (laughs) about that time I did. (laughs) Ah, yes, that that there is, that's the dividing line. That's the morality system this, this podcast uses. There's the cyborg haters, and then there are the other side, which is the cyborg not haters, which is, you know, I just, I, I, it's not hate, man. It's just a complicated emotional state. Like, <laughs> See, feelings. you not hate him. <laughs> <laughs> my my nephews have got access to iPads now, and they're watching Teen Titans Go. And, oh god! Like for everyone who wants to rubbish on that series, I don't know. Four year olds seem to like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what it's for. <laughs> yep, doing its job. And hey, trust me, when those kids are old enough and they start asking about what I think of the Teen Titans, I'm breaking out the other cartoon. Trust me on this one. Oh, are you? <laughs> That'll be a chance for me to watch it for once. That's what I was about to say! <laughs> so, yeah, uh, speaking of TV and oh, Black yeah. Lightning, <laughs> we're, we're actually timely here. We have we have a take so hot it's still from the oven. Yeah, yeah, we're trying... Because, I mean, all the thing pieces are coming out, and... What are the things you're gonna hear? Is endless amounts of uh, comparisons of Black Lightning to Luke Cage, and they're way more valid than I would normally give them credit for, but also probably bullshit just because the the the, the momentum of the universe seems to indicate towards bullshit. So, so we talk about some of the stuff that's on TV, particularly something that I know Talon still has many many more rounds in the chamber on. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna actually finally. St- speak in detail on the Defenders <laughs> and the whole Netflix Marvel Universe. In addition yeah. to, like, Marvel's television universe in general, because, you know, yeah. Runaways just ended. Uh, uh, Cloak and Dagger is coming up. It's coming up, like, next month, I think. You know? I, 
I will believe a Cloak and Dagger series exists when I've finished watching the second episode. Prior to that point, nah. Just like a long-ass trailer, just like the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still don't believe it. You Cloak can make all the tech demos you want. They've got stuff, man. I read this one comic where they fought fucking uh, the ghost of Jack the Ripper. It was crazy. <laughs> See, that's cool. I, I like yeah. that. He was like possessing people. It was, it was some shit. And it was like, it's very like off format book. So it's like, it sits on my shelf weird. And it's like super wide and like painterly. It's amazing. Oh, nice. Yeah. See, the, the, the thing with, um, like, aside from the obvious power level problem with, with um, Cloak and Dagger... Uh, you know, you, you know that joke that you know first-time nerds make about how why why doesn't Superman solve everything by chucking it into the sun? Yeah, why like, doesn't why doesn't Cloak just eat everybody? <laughs> yeah, like well, the that, thing with and, Superman is there's a really good answer as to why Superman doesn't just huck everything into the sun. That's not the type of story Superman's part of. So, Superman isn't going to chuck bad people into the sun. That would make him bad. But when it comes to Cloak and Dagger, you don't have that excuse. <laughs> Yeah, Cloak will eat that motherfucker real quick. <laughs> the worst That's thing is, like, Cloak eats you in his cloak, and then you go to a demon dimension, and then the demons eat you, so you got eight twice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, like, there's, there's, there's there, there. I genuinely think there's material. Plus, you know, you can always just say, well, they're dumb teenagers, because that's how they're, you know, introduced in the beginning. Yeah. So, well, the, the thing about, the thing about Cloak and Dagger, uh, as a series, is it's not going to be a series. For, uh, like, I, I don't think it will be, quote-unquote, a series. When when I get to watch a bunch of it, I'm like, oh, okay, these episodes continue on one from another, and there is more to this than just, um... <sighs> well, yeah, special effects, tech demo, and, and, and mood. Yeah. Then I'll, then I'll be like, okay, yeah, there's a Cloak and Dagger series. Otherwise, there's a Cloak and Dagger ad that takes 30 minutes an episode. <laughs> Which, yeah, no, the... There's some... <sighs> Television is weird, because I mentioned before that I feel like television as a medium probably serves, like, excluding the budgetary concerns and shit like that, I feel like it serves superhero media better than a lot of other things because of the episodic nature of it, you know? Mm. Particularly yeah. those who, like, fall into my sort of classical, like, my strict definition of a superhero, because, you know, like, film is good for, like, a big crossover event and stuff like that, but TV gives things its time to dwell. Although, yeah. when you get into stuff like Netflix, you're also dealing with, like, shorter seasons, and which can be good or bad, depending. Yeah. But it's that whole thing of you build up, like, Defenders. Could Defenders have been just a movie? Did it need to be a series, do you think? Even a shorter one? So, like, in, 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 are, we, are we going straight into the conversation about the Defenders? Are you giving me this gift? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, uh, in, the, in the case of movie... One of the one of the unspoken problems of movies when it comes to superheroes right now is scope. Yeah. Right? The the kind of things superheroes do to look natural visually and look good visually requires just tons of money. Just just tons and tons of money to do. Well, hold on, and, let me just stop well, you right there. Like it could have been a Netflix movie instead that's of That's like, what I was gonna say. Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't have to be a... It doesn't have to show in theaters, but instead yeah, of the series is, that it was with all the stuff it yeah, had. Yeah, there's a current missing niche in the superhero visual media landscape. We don't have TV movies. We don't yeah, we have will. 90 minutes. It kind of is a little bit crap, but it doesn't matter that it's a little bit crap because it makes you feel good. We don't have that at the moment. Well, 
You know who does? Toku. Toku. <laughs> you you touched any of the movies yet? No, no, you ain't. <laughs> I'm right up to the edge of the first Kamen Rider W movie. Oh, so has somebody given you a, like a viewing list or some shit? I've been told that episode 14 you jump over to watching the movies, and I'm at episode 13. Ah, bro, I just watched the whole season, and then I just watched the movies, so... <laughs> so, uh, the, what you don't have is what we, what we would call a middle space. Because mm. a TV series, you need actors who can do consistent long-term work, you need a lot of sets you can move between regularly, you need continuity editors and managers, and you need you basically need to treat it like a long-term project. Uh, a movie takes about as long to make, but everything in it is more concentrated. And money-wise, you get this really weird effect, right? So, in a TV series, if you wanted to put Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit in a TV series, and you want to use five seconds of Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit, just walking in, it's like, okay, that's your show's budget. Uh, mm. Okay, what if we wanted 20 seconds? Oh, that's probably the same amount of money. Five <laughs> minutes? It'll be a bit more, but, you know, that's fine. So the scope isn't really comparable. And then you get to the movies where showing Tony Stark flying around in his suit, that's about as expensive as showing Tony Stark flying around in his suit fighting a dragon. Mm -hmm. Like the the costs of making this stuff don't scale in the same way. And it's really weird. So movies have this compulsion to use their budget everywhere they can. Just as a matter of saving money. Especially with the actors they're getting because the actors are now worth lots of money as well. So... You want to make sure you get the most out of them while you got them. Mm-hmm. What this means is that, by necessity, superhero movies have to be massive projects, money-wise. Just, just the most ridiculous things. Like, how much did the Avengers cost to make? Uh, some billion, some shit. I don't even. I don't. It's I one don't of the highest. Up. It's one of the highest grossing films. It boxed one point five billion, mm. and and its actual cost to make. Um, uh, its cost to make is somewhere below, yeah, about two hundred and twenty million, according to official statistics. Mm. And two hundred twenty million to make a movie that's going to make you back one point five billion—that's uh, yeah, that's that's pretty reasonable as far as investments go. That's that's quite mm. affordable. But that that whole distortion means okay, you're making a movie worth that much money. What's the thr- what's the thing you're going to deal with? What's the problem? And you can't say, oh, we're gonna. We're gonna um, we're gonna stop Doc Ock. He wants to rob some banks. See the thing about uh, you're not. Okay. I'm not wrong so, as far as marketing goes, right? Right, right. Straight up, this is how markets work. Like, Marketers even- are not going to sign off on. Well, it's a really cool, intense story, and it's about a bank job, unless that bank job is directed by Spike Lee. <laughs> See, the thing about that is, what I don't disagree with you, right? Yeah, but at the same time. Like, there's gotta be, like, to a certain degree, that's kind of what the, like, DC TV shows do, where they don't do a yep. movie, but they do do one episode per, like, their crossovers are shorter than the Defenders, which was really just a crossover, was, right? And, yeah. And because they're on that, you know, they're on network television, they have more budget, they can have big alien fights and armies of gorillas and shit. And that's different than, like, the, low, you know, poorly lit ninja fights they had. But I just do, I feel, A, they had way too much material, like, wasted on a lot of nothing, you know? Yeah. And they didn't, and they gave time to stuff we don't, you know, really care about so much, and not enough time to what could have made it really shine, and not enough work put in on what could have made it really shine, you know? Yeah. And 
at the end of the day, it was just a crossover. Like, I think movies are a good avenue for crossovers because it's, you know, it gives you your big, you know, showy stuff and you can always sell it on. No, it's everybody together. That's big enough. So if we want to have a heist, that's fine because the crossover is the selling point. Yeah, we finally have everybody together. That's something, yeah. right? And, I mean, that's, and that, that's that, the, that's the kind of awkward thing with Defenders because Defenders kind of wanted to be like, there's just not enough there for it to have been as many episodes as it was, but there's just a tiny bit too much for it to have been a movie. Mm. Yeah, like, I you, d- you needed stuff to get... You needed some things to get room to breathe. Ironically, Sigourney Weaver was one of them. <laughs> it, like, we uh, we had the uh, Crisis on Earth X crossover this past year, and, like, setting aside the whole, oh, we're doing alt-Nazis again story, uh, uh-huh. it... It ha- it was doing a lot of fucking pulling, right? And it was also pulling for like six seasons of Arrow, four or five seasons of uh, Flash, three seasons of Legends of Tomorrow, two seasons of Supergirl. Like it had a lot of shit behind it. So like you go back to the first Flash Arrow crossover, it was two episodes, and it was basically just two episodes that had sort of a bit of continuity to them. It was one episode, Arrow goes over to Flash, they fight a bad guy. And one, you know, Flash goes over to Arrow, and they fight a bad guy. And that was sort of it. They didn't start being these big events till they started pushing Legends. And I think Legends, that crossover was the biggest, like, comparison, because that crossover was just material to set up Legends, right? So you had an episode of Flash, which sort of referenced some things, an episode of Arrow, which referenced some things, and then they crossed over, like, this is basically the first episode of Legends of Tomorrow. And the whole season of Arrow, like, got bogged down by a lot of that shit because they spent the early half of their season setting up characters for legends they had to bring back some character like two separate characters from the dead and then sort of put them in a position where they might want to leave so it's very much like your daredevil season two or your iron fist where you spent a lot of time setting up shit for someone else to use you know yeah (laughs) yeah so so what you're left with is this situation where storytelling wise the economic pressures and market pressures say go big and marvel especially because they're spending mouse money marvel can go big and it's giving them the returns they want and the the funny thing when you think about it is mm, the avengers mm. the, the avengers had a budget of about 220 million dollars right mm. and the entire the, the entire grouping of all the marvel netflix tv shows from 2014 through to 2020 are being made for $200 million. One movie and that took him about a year and a half to make versus six, seven series. Mm-hmm. And then we're not even getting into things like, again, the Cloak and Dagger show, the Runaways, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, that uh, fucking New Warriors show that's supposed to be in the works. Yeah. And, you know... That's a lot of other shit. Like, as much as we sort of accept that, yeah, sure, Runaways and Cloak and Dagger take place in the MCU. Do at any point we think they're gonna, sh- that there's gonna be some crossover? Because, like, there was a, you know, fucking Cloak, Dagger, and Luke Cage have all interacted and fought and conflicted with the Runaways as a group. Yeah. Is that gonna happen? Fucking no. <laughs> it's like Agents and- of Shield. Hey, is all this cool shit gonna be in the, Infinity War? No. <laughs> yeah. So so the spectrum is completely different. Marvel movies 
have to be huge. Even even Thor Ragnarok, which from most accounts is forgotten as a movie, it had a scale that was really huge. You saw like big things crashing into other big things and just the sheer spectacle and the scope of the story was enormous. And then on the other hand, you have two whole episodes of Daredevil, which were basically taking place in three rooms mm. <laughs> with just different set design and a dead body on the floor. I mean, that also is what happens, again, when you don't have a network behind you to cut back on some of those costs. Because, like, if you look at, like, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Legends, you'll see a lot of, if you're paying attention, you can see a yeah. lot of the same sets being dressed. And, you know, oh, well, they save money on that. I mean, that's all that shit in Vancouver. And they just, yeah. over and over and, and over again. And that's the job of the studio. And that's good. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why, um, weirdly, it, that's part of why um, you might you might not have necessarily noticed it. But Arrow, which is one of the oldest series in this, looks distinctly bigger budget than Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And Daredevil, again, is spending mouse money. Yeah. Same sort of show, same sort of material, same, like, you know, like, the action sequences are very similar. Same uh, scope of power, same, so- mm-hmm. same type of enemies. Mm-hmm. Heck, even, even same language scope. You have a whole bunch of dudes speaking Russian, you have a whole bunch of dudes speaking English, you have a whole bunch of dudes speaking Italian, and that's, that's both... Mm-hmm. No, no, Arrow has a bunch of guys speaking Chinese. Yeah, it, and it's just one of the, it's that, it's funny when I see those comparisons, I'm like, yo man, like, I love that hallway fight, but, it, <laughs> that's cool, uh, I can see, I can see fucking Steven Amell fight 50 guys, like, actually 50 guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> just... uh, so here's the thing about the hallway fight, and I, I love the hallway fight, obviously, but the thing with the hallway fight is the whole, if you sit down, and if you get like, draw a timeline, and when a character comes on screen and you see them do something, start a timer, and then when they leave that shot in the hallway, or if they're down below the level of the of the camera, make another note. And what you'll realize is that hallway fight is a lot of empty space, and that empty space is there to build tension and to give you a set of threat, but it's also to give stuntmen a chance to pull themselves together after they've just hit the floor that hard. Yeah. And it's all saving money in this one really excellently tightly done shot. And it means they don't have to shoot it again from any other angles. So the hallway shot's amazing, and it's one of those examples of what you can do if you can plan in advance, mm-hmm. and if you've got someone who's a really good uh, fight choreographer. I don't know who the fight choreographer is for Daredevil uh, Season 1, but mm-hmm. they were probably not getting the same amount of control in Season 2, he says, diplomatically. Yeah, it's funny because like there's this new trick that the Arrow like fight choreographer actually got some dude named Bamford, John Bamford, something I think, uh, that he has discovered and he does it like all the time now. Where because they have like five people on the hero side and like twenty people on the bad guy side, and every scene these days, the thing they'll do is they'll have these big wide shots and they'll fight, fight, and then whoever you're focusing on will like throw the bad guy in front of the camera. And that's when you cut to someone else having their fight. And they'll do the same thing and pass it all back and forth. And this is very, like, this is an easy way for them to set those guys up over there off camera. And yeah. also make the cuts feel, like, it's not a one but it is, it has that sense of it. You know? It's dynamic. Right. Um, you look at the big fight scene at the end of Black Lightning there too, right? The first one intentionally took place in darkness so you can see the lightning punches and the flashes. Yeah. And bang, bang, bang. And... The second one was kind of like a hallway fight, except it was like sort of outdoors. They filmed in Atlanta. So it was like in one of those like open air motel situations where he's walking up and then upstairs and across and down the hallway. 
uh, it just cut to some other people talking for a while, <laughs> so they can stop animating lightning for like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's they... a similar wonderful sequence that they use in Leverage, hmm? where a fight gets uh, a fight breaks out in a sound booth, <laughs> and a character is having an extensive fist fight inside the sound booth. And then it does a cut shot to outside the sound booth with two characters with their back to the window who don't know what's going on. And the back of the back window is out of focus. And you have these two characters in the foreground giving plot exposition while a fight is happening behind them. They don't have to get the fight choreography particularly good back there because it's all just vague shapes moving in an out of focus way. But it does give you that same feeling of like this fight is taking a long time. But we don't have to spend tons of effort from stunt people and choreographer and whatnot. We just need to do some very basic blocking. Um, mm-hmm. That that kind of thing is also a very good use of your your resources. Now, there's a there's something yeah. to be said for just like simple ass TV tricks that doesn't get enough credit. Not just for in terms of the cleverness of it, but also just like it can add to a scene sometimes. Like the things you have to do to get around your limitations can be really interesting. You know, and then there's like weird things where people like. Enforce limitations of themselves that weren't necessary, like how Peter Jackson makes hobbits by just fucking with, like, building weird furniture so people are standing in odd perspectives, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, that shit's amazing. But also, like, why, man? You had, like, billions of dollars. You could have just CGI'd those guys. <laughs> mm. You gave a lot of work to carpenters, and I appreciate that. We know some carpenters. They're good people. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 have, we have friends with some carpenters. We advocate hiring carpenters to make stuff for you. So, anyway, the, all, all this preamble about scope is to say that I recognize that there are concerns when it comes to the production of a television series, or a movie, or indeed a comic book, or anything that are related to the scope of the project, right? Mm. I understand that a TV series cannot have Tony Stark in it constantly, because the suit will look bad. <laughs> Let's talk about suits, right? Because, like... People are dogging on Black Lightning suit, right? And Iron right, Fist yeah, yeah. suit would probably gonna like if Iron Fist rolled up with the collar and the chest out, right? People would probably give him the same. That's the thing, right? What's the balance between comics accuracy and like effectiveness? We've talked about how some shit doesn't work on camera and some shit does. Yeah, and like I'm assuming because they they sort of they're building it up. If you watch, if you've watched Defenders and you saw him in his little green jumpsuit at the end, there they're trying yeah. to build him up. To like, because the way he talked and looked and interacted with Daredevil, and the the idea that we're gonna go into season three of Daredevil with him being quote gone, yeah, like the idea being that Danny Rand will pick up for Daredevil and be Iron Fist on the streets in a costume is a thing they're setting up. Right? Yeah, like, imagine clearly... imagine if they put imagine if they put D- Danny in a costume. Hmm, go on, <laughs> go, like, on okay. go on, go on. This is yours. This is yours. Danny's costume is another one I really want them to fuck with. Not just in terms of... Because, okay, so here's what we've... We've had, like, in general shape of things, three costumes, right? One is the classic one with the big collar and the chest open and the little, like, kung fu shoes and those socks. The other one is just kind of a plain plant spandex outfit, just an all green thing with yellow boots and, you know, the chest symbol. And now we have this thing he's doing these days, which is kind of like a tracksuit and... Yeah, that's that's something someone designed to be very movie-esque. The funny thing about it is, when they were doing the Immortal Run, they designed that suit and said, no, we don't want to do it, and threw it out. And so then, <laughs> by, like, and then 10 years later, this guy come around and say, no, yeah, let's do that! <laughs> <laughs> no idea in comics is so bad that it won't come back. It's not a bad look, it's just like, man, 
because like they're they're going for Bruce Lee, right? They're they're going for like a, a version of Bruce Lee's yellow Game of Death. Was it Game of Death tracksuit? The yellow and black. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yep. They're they're very much doing that, and that's probably what we're gonna see Danny wearing. Or, uh, what's that boy's name? Finn Jones. Finn. Yeah. Finn? Him. Yeah, that's probably what he's gonna be wearing, probably with the mask. So the the. Uh... The reason I draw this line is because that there are problems in the production of, of media, which I like to think of as being extrinsic versus intrinsic. Mm-hmm. Things that are extrinsic are things that are from external influences, things that, that, that had to happen or were made to happen because of concerns outside the story that they were trying to tell. So to use one of my favorite examples for this, uh, The Legend of Korra. The Legend mm-hmm. of Korra, I love this series. It's badly paced. And part of the reason it's badly paced is because they literally had no idea how many episodes they were going to work with, and their budget kept changing. So what they budgeted for this many episodes, and oh no, we, we have to cut an episode. Or, oh no, we still need to deliver that many episodes on less money. Oh, 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 oh. So a whole bunch of things changed. And that, I feel, is an extrinsic influence. I don't blame Cora for that. And then there are intrinsic things. Decisions made in the purpose of the story by the people telling it, and it represents what they want to tell. So, to again, use Avatar as an example, I think that the the introduction and application of spirit bending at the end of that story was bad, and I have problems with that. And I think of that as an intrinsic problem, because no one was saying, you need to introduce a lion turtle at the last minute or you're not going to make your regulars. No, it was, it was a choice they made, they set it up, they planted it, they paid it off, they did a thing with it. I just don't like it. So that's an intrinsic problem. So I'm trying to make sure when I make fun of Defenders, there are Defenders and, and Iron Fist and that, that whole Netflix thing. There are a lot of extrinsic problems, which it is very reasonable to complain about, but they live in a different lane to the intrinsic problems of the Netflix TV series. And one of the big intrinsic problems, so one of the big extrinsic problems we're going to see going forward is... Look, it's racism, basically. But Black Lightning and Luke Cage are going to get thrown against each other in a lot of really silly think pieces. (laughs) As if they are fighting. (laughs) Like, oh, good people like Luke Cage. Bad people like Black Lightning. Blah, 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 blah. That kind of stuff, that's going to happen. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that's all that stupid fucking fandom battle shit that you just, uh, like, on... uh... Yeah, in general. and now we've just seen it graduate up to the level of people who have who have access to degrees. So they're instead making it like you know, oh well, this work is uh, this 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 work is failing to follow through on these values of anti colonialism. It's like, well, that's probably not what they were trying to do. So it's not exactly fair to grade it on that curve, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's the idea of what what you're. That's that's always to me, right? I always try to judge things on a what they're trying to accomplish, and like, did you accomplish your task? And if I can. And if your intent is, like, clear to me, that I can judge your intent and see your, uh, your results, you know? Mm. And, and so, so, now, this is, this is not, by the way, to say that I am in any way running down people who say, hey, I want to use Luke Cage as a lens to talk about this thing. Uh, there was a really excellent piece on Luke Cage on Women Write About Comics, and I, in, in the moment, on the spot, I'm actually embarrassed. I can't remember the name of the, uh, uh, of the writer who wrote it. Um, if we find it, we'll link it in the description, I guess, yeah? Uh, I believe it was J.A. Michelin, hmm. uh, he said, checking his browser history frantically. <laughs> uh, but there was there was a piece 
which described the idea that the series Luke Cage has forgotten the face of its father. And I thought that was a really interesting, really good piece that brought a whole bunch of stuff I would never consider, I wouldn't know, and it was good, and I liked it. And I'm not saying that kind of stuff is bad because framing and intrinsic or extrinsic. I'm just saying lots of different opinions on this stuff are worth reading. And when it comes specifically to the Black Lightning versus Luke Cage thing, they don't have to be in contest. It's, it's fun. Like, it's, it's, they're, I, I can say this right now, just having watched it, uh, the first episode of Black Lightning, that you're gonna experience a lot of the same feelings you had, like, as viewers, watching Luke Cage as you did watching Black Lightning. Or, I mean, you're gonna see, you're gonna have those same experiences, I think, in different ways, uh, Part of it is runtime, part of it is network budget, you know, because, like, the Netflix shows do a, this thing a lot, and I, I love it sometimes, where they, like, they, bu- they bullshit around super strength a lot. Like, one of the things Jessica Jones did was, like, sort of cut away and, you know, you know, have the metal bending sound and then turn back and she's got, you know, uh, you know, twisted up door handle or something. And they did a lot of that in Luke Cage, but they made sure that they showed it when it counted and they used yeah. the budget where necessary. Yeah. And, you know, you know, Black Lightning has TV budget, so he can shoot lightning all fucking day. And he can glow, and people can make fun of his costume. And yeah. I won't disagree with those people, but you're not going to touch my fucking lights, i tell you right now. I love those I, lights. <laughs> while, while we're on the subject of budget and, and visuals, light is one of the things that comic books can do that no other media can do. Animated media can't do it. You can get lighting shifts in comic books to make each individual frame treat the subject as a completely different artwork and create a sense of flow and transformation that is super important and really cool and it gives you great effects and people respond to it that if you try to replicate it in real life it's a mess and it confuses people and they get lost that's actually in in the opening of the avengers movie there's a sequence where uh, black widow fights people from a chair and most fight choreographers would look at that whole sequence and go, this is garbage. There's a lot of changing really? angles, it cuts the line, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Well, that's a, that's an American thing, you know, because of how a lot of Americans, first of all, like the uh, insurance issues with American pub- publications, and also just the training and level of your actors and the people you have involved, and how, because not a lot of these actors are, I mean, yeah, they do their stunts, but they're not, none of them are fucking Jackie Chan, right? So... You have to cut around that. You have to edit around that yeah. in a way that you don't in, say, you know, a Japanese show. Or, like, in Toku, where you just, you just go, no, full costume. All right, now fuck it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, to- Toku has a whole range of special effects you can do. And this, ma- right. And, and, sorry. And so when Black Lightning is got light up parts of the outfit and lightning bolts and flaring around it, like, playing with light is one of the ways you can make a character look like a comic book character without without making them look like a confused mess. I'm not going to argue with anybody that that costume needs work, the mask and some of the outfits, you know, the structure of it could be different, but I would hope uh fucking the the Achilles who are not listening to this, but if you are, don't fucking do anything to the lights. They're they're ridiculous and I love it and it's fantastic. But like yeah. the rest of that shit's too bulky in the circuitry. Yeah. But lights baby fucking Tron lines on everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the fucking, like, we were, before, I don't think this is not on record, but the fucking storming the castle thing with Luke Cage was the best, like, actual fight sequence or action sequence in that show. I, I struggle to think of a 
equal equivalent thing in Jessica Jones, I think the closest would probably be a bar fight that had Luke Cage in it, coincidentally. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> we got to see that, that, that first immediate representation of, like, bored Luke Cage getting hit with things. Just like, oh, yeah, okay. And he mushing people out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's... Gr- and, of course, you know, the fucking... All the Daredevil fights are fantastic. And now we have Punisher out here. Um, yeah, yeah, Punisher fights. I mean, here's the thing about, like, gunfights. Like, once you've seen John Wick, it's like, what, you, you gonna do some John Wick shit? You're not? Okay, I don't care. <laughs> the, That's the, the nature of, the nature of gunfights is also that the infrastructural technology just isn't there. Like, John Wick is a kung fu movie that uses guns excellently. The guns yeah, yeah. in, in TV series, they're like, okay, we're going to line up a row of squibs in here, and we're going to plant a whole bunch of them, and we're going to set them off in this sequence, and uh, we need to time the people waving the guns at the squibs right. It has that, um, like, when people actually get into physical hand-to-hand fights, it does have that heavy, like, exhausting sort of feel that you get from Daredevil, but without all the flip kicks and shit, so it's like, uh, it's just, it's very slugger, you know, it's like, uh, these two dudes just wailing on each other for a good five minutes, and that's, it's sort of all it really is. Uh, and I'm a fan of knife fights. There was a couple of knife fights in them, and I cannot remember them. <laughs> you think I would remember knife fights, but I don't. Yeah. It, it, Arrow it, did a good job of handling knife fights. Oh, yeah, well, they, they, they did some dumb bullshit that you wouldn't expect to work, like the fucking thing where he's using the bow as, like, a deflection tool and yeah. like, almost doing a scrummer. Like, I wouldn't have done that, but you know what? That yeah. works. Yeah, it's not a weapon. Off. He's not a weapon. He's not hitting people with it. He's just like, no, don't hit me with your knife. And that creates some interesting shit that we don't see as much anymore, which is a shame. That was a cool idea. Uh, Yeah. But, again, that's the whole thing of, like, the dynamics of your characters, right? Because that's not a thing that the Punisher can or would or should do. Or or Black Lightning or Daredevil. Like, each of them, you have to learn how to lean into the specifics of what your character has and what they have to bring to the table. That's kind of the failing of Jessica Jones, where she's, at the end of the day, she doesn't have the upside of being invulnerable like Luke Cage could be, or, you know, the super agility that Daredevil and, hypothetically, Danny could bring to the table. She's yeah. just kind she's fairly strong. So, you have a couple of punches and then maybe a throw with, you know, with wires to indicate strength, and that's all you really get. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, the way Jessica Jones fights, and I'm, again... I haven't watched her series. I've only seen her I, in Defenders. But her problem, as represented in Defenders, is the types of fights she does are not well backed up with the way they demonstrate the character, right? Mm. So you, you mentioned she's not invulnerable. She's just strong. Mm. If you aren't invulnerable, but you are extremely strong, hypothetically, your urge would be to do things that ends fights very quickly or that use your strength in the inf- in your interface with your environment, right? Oh yeah, she should weaponize things more. It should be yeah, more she of like, should be tearing up sections of wall and putting them between her and the people with guns. Right, but you know, Luke Cage does that. <laughs> that well, that kind of tricked me out. Like, why are you doing yeah. this? I mean, he. I mean, when you, you crush it around that Eunice. guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> use your Eunice, Luke. You don't need a wall to do it. You don't need to hold up a door. Just walk through it. Right. That's, that's what we were discussing. There are ways to be invulnerable, like, at people. And I don't think yeah. anyone's ever, like, written that in, like, American publication I can think of. No, it really it's, is. It's, yeah. I've seen it in manga. Yeah, yeah. Where you're actively invulnerable. You're, like, using your body and, like, 
pro- projecting yourself towards people. Oh, you know? no, uh, I know one Western comic that's done it. Mm. Irredeemable, or rather, uh, Incorruptible. Mm. Which Evans is the follow-up the comic. One. Yeah, I haven't yeah. read the second one yet. Yeah, it's it's got problems. You, you get yeah, it's right? comic books. <laughs> we'll go. We'll get. In, we'll get into inter- irredeemable and incorruptible another time when we start on the deconstruction. No, I mean just in the sense of how he was being actively invulnerable. Oh, uh, one of the characters has a thing where uh, his his powers are all tied to being awake, mm-hmm. and as he spends more time awake, he gets more and more invulnerable and more and more strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as he gets more and more awake, he starts hallucinating. He loses his ability to be coordinated. It's exactly what you, it, you know. We, we've all been awake for 72 hours. We all know what it's like. Now imagine trying to fight a superhero with that. Mm. Um, and in that case, a lot of what he does towards the end of the fights isn't I swing my fist. It's I throw my entire body at you with force into something terrible. Right. Like I right. tackle you into stuff knowing it won't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or even and just that's like, like, yeah. Uh, uh, this is the idea of like use like holding people in place and then setting them up for something else, or using yourself as, especially when you have a team situation, you can use yourself as an avenue for others. You know, you can mm. just set yourself up to boost people. Like anytime, like the fact that at no point nobody said, you know, put their hands up or just that like, bit down for Danny to bounce off the back and you know I yeah. just punch someone down from the sky. Like yo, that's an easy like team up move, and that can get you your Power Man Iron Fist moment that you want. You know, not so much. Um, fucking, uh, Citizen Steel, he's on Legends. He, he doesn't do a lot of that either. He's, he turns into Steel. He's basically Colossus. You don't get a lot of being invulnerable at people. He turns into metal, they have bullet spark effects, and then he throws a couple punches. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, uh, sometimes Superman gets this, you know, that, that's the whole idea of Superman as a savior, and he'll always run in the, in the midst of things. And, you know, inter- you know, insert himself in between danger and people who need protection. But, it's like, it's one of those things that doesn't quite pan out depending on who's writing it or who's doing it. It, it's, it's, when we talk, again, that's what I said earlier about like how television is good for superhero medium. It's because it's episodic. It's just like comics where you read an issue, you have an adventure. And ideally, you could pick up one issue and read it and know what's going on and maybe get hinted at what's going to be happening in the future. And sort of the same way with television, but people are becoming so like, like, against the idea of episodic television, the idea that you could just pick up on a story yeah. immediately. Like, it's a, it's, a, it's the focus on plot that we have these days. You know, where's the yeah. plot, 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 plot. It's like, and the Flash but, did that. Like, the Flash mm. did open episodes with, here's what I am, here's what I do. And a lot of the episodes of Flash were, here is the Flash fighting someone. Yeah. It, eh, people don't... I don't think he needs to be in every story, but I do think people shouldn't be like so against the idea of you know the monster of the week the villain of the week the episodic storytelling that you can just you know take in as one meter because that's that's quality in its own way being able to express a story in 30 pages or 30 minutes you know complete is its own note of quality just because it's not hinting at some greater context or some bigger thing doesn't mean it's bad or it's inferior you know and that's one of the things like it's good. This is being described as a positive. We're going to see with like Black Lightning, and that's one of the things that we're seeing with the Netflix shows. We're like, oh, this isn't going to be a villain of the week show. We're going to have, you know, it's going to be a cannonball show. Mm, uh, the, the the expectation is you're going to sit down and plow through four or five episodes. Uh, that that's actually one of the things with um with Daredevil why they tried to make sure that there were two distinct plot breaks 
so people could stop watching at those points and take a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole binge culture thing. It's like, you know, I, it's, you know, cause you don't want to tell people how to engage with how media because they, they do it on their own level and what their own availability. But like, sometimes you're just supposed to watch one episode, you know? Yeah. And again, that's TV. I mean, that's technically how movies are supposed to work, right? You're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, they're meant to be discreet. And, but now we're, we're beginning to this weird place where movies are doing television better than television are in certain ways because you can kind of watch the Avengers without knowing. I don't think you can watch, say, Civil War or Winter Soldier without knowing or any of the other movies that are coming down the line. They're still doing a better job than, like, television is just because television in many ways is trying to prove that it's better than, te- you know, than film in certain ways. And Well, I mean, this Breaking whole- Bad did happen. Yeah, yeah, and you get that's that whole prestige. That's why everything's you know we went from thirty minutes to forty minutes, right? To get the yeah. to sort of uh, appeal to that market. Also, just because technically you're being cheated, you didn't get thirty minutes. You were getting twenty five plus five minutes of commercials. And you know, remember, uh, remember the Batman, the original Batman series. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the Adam West Batman. Yeah. As far as like as far as getting stuff done in an episode, those things were amazing. <laughs> It's like, in a single episode of the Batman series, you would see three death traps and, like, four fight punch-ups. <laughs> Man, like, okay, even going to, like, I, I, I say this all the time, like, people, like, harp on, you know, they focus on the Batman the Animated Series too much, but it was good, it did a great thing. Do you think a show like that would be made in that same format today? No. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Too much plot, right? It, it have to every season. It'd have to have one big villain, and he'd have to. Everything would have to be attached to that in some way. Yep. Right. Yep. We, we, we we can't just have a bunch of one-off show. You know, episodes. But where's the plot? There's no motherfucking plot. Batman fights crime. That's the plot. It's the same plot every episode. So what I, what I'm hearing here is that uh, Batman the animated series is like Doctor Who. Mur- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I th- these are mostly extrinsic kind of problems, right? Mm -hmm. These are the demands of the market, the types of series that people are selling and marketing devices and the binge culture and whatnot. And like, um, Iron Fist and Daredevil both suffer from that in a big way. The binge effect of, um, of Daredevil is, mean, of Daredevil Season 2 means that if you actually sit down and you do binge Daredevil Season 2, you wind up mostly with a story that's about the Punisher. Mm -hmm. And, pretty much, uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of, you're left realizing you watched a six-hour pilot. <laughs> For an okay show. Eh, I still haven't watched it. That's it's That okay. indeed is part of my problem. I, I just cannot muster the enthusiasm. It's like, the Punisher. <laughs> I know, I've, I know. We I've, know. Got, I've got W's sitting next to me on, on, on my hard drive. <laughs> and that is hilarious He's- and fun. And I get and, to, and, and people care what I think about it. <laughs> and he's got a gun. <laughs> As so opposed to that? Punisher, secret power, has a gun. Hey, hey, hey. Trigger. Trigger! That's a, he's got a power. <laughs> exactly. Secret power has gun. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like, um, it's very hard to muster the enthusiasm for something like the Punisher, especially going into it, knowing that, first of all, there's going to be a ton of plot scaffolding. There's going to be a ton of stuff where they're like, okay, we're going to set up the next two things we're going to try and do. And I just don't care. That's uh, the funny thing, too, right? Even fucking, like, writer shows like that have mm. sort of a plot-based structure to them. But in your two episodes, in your fortnight of a plot, 
that will get solved every yeah. time, you know? It, like they, in a lot of ways, it's structured like Next Wave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's awesome. That's, uh, go for it. Okay, so, like, so for I, anyone who doesn't remember Next Wave, one of the points It's of been Next a while, Wave so. Was every story arc of Next Wave was two comics. That's it. That's all they had to make any given plot arc. You could do, like, character development, though they aggressively worked against that because Next Wave was a comedy series. But if they were like, okay, here is the monster, the next issue was going to resolve that monster. Which meant that Next Wave, if you go back and you read it like trades, it reads like a series of movies. It's not this long, drawn-out, back-and-forth, uh, you know plot cul-de-sacs does this mean anything no it doesn't mean anything no it's just all the hits it's pure highlights and it's in a way that comic books can't normally limit themselves to doing and these toku series are doing that because they're just saying like yeah we're we're gonna do a two-parter every every story is a two-parter but that's it it's only a two-parter it's yeah i mean there's there is a over there's always a major villain because that's how that that's the other thing too right when you look at like a writer show or a ranger show, those are always about the, like I say, you know, the uh, classic, uh, my, I keep saying classic like I'm a fucking definition, but that my, my perspective is superhero doesn't get up in the morning to fight one guy. Yeah. And to a certain extent, like Toku heroes do, they are after that one evil organization, but they affect, like they have all these branching effects. And like technically, technically, you know, you look at a the museum organization in W, they're not really directly responsible for the shit that's going on. They're just drug dealers and people are using their drugs yeah. and causing these problems. It's not really part of a plot. The plot comes in and interrupts, you know, Nazca shows up and like, hi, I'm the plot, motherfucker. And yeah. well, that that's actually one point I really like about the application of Nazca in that because his whole thing is a personal feeling of being slighted by the writer and he's constantly <laughs> trying to get, like, basically build rep by beating the writer and not being able to. Like, that whole, that whole, I, I will go in on that at another time. But suffice to say, I like it. It's good, it's good stuff. Um. Right. And, like, we, we, even by the way, nowadays, we've somehow gone an hour and we still haven't gotten around to really getting into what's actually going on in Defenders. So I think, I think we've got a lot of juice <laughs> in this one. There's, a, there's a lot of juice in this orange. I told you this is gonna be, it might end up being more of a TV, like, television as yeah. medium than anything else. Cause like, um, Runaways just ended, and Runaways, it's interesting, right? Because Runaways gave way more, like, depth to the parrots than we would have ever seen. And part of that is, like, they basically just adapted the first trade into 12 episodes. Um, now obviously, like, Runaways is sort of on the edge of the idea of superhero media, but it, it's part of the conversation. Uh, and that's just the, tra- the transfer into media. You aren't, you aren't gonna get 10 episodes out of that six issue trade, you know? Yeah. Not, not the way it was presented. So, yeah, it took 10 episodes for them to actually run away, but they took characters that were extremely flat and, like, brought them out a whole lot. And, like, relationships that met, cause, you know, the whole narrative of, oh, our parents and we're not sure, like, those kids were able to, like, go, like, no, fuck it, let's run away quickly. And we were able to go with them because we didn't care about that relationship with the parents. If the kids said they don't like the parents, we agree. Right? We didn't yeah. think about it too much because we weren't given much to think about. Versus you give 10 episodes of back and forth and stuff going on with the parents. Now it's more of a like conversation of, well, well, should we? Or why, you know? 
and that's very plot heavy. It's just one long plot. There's no, you know, episodic storytelling because they're not typical superheroes. So they can have all this plot and they can yeah. have this long extended story. Um, the, the gifted, that X-Men sort of side thing, it has a few X-Men. It has Lorna Dane. It has a uh, Warpath and a uh, Blink. So those are three like actual X-Men characters and then they're all this stuff. It's kind of like an underground railroad sort of thing going on. Yeah. Uh, that is another like long plot extended thing, but it's not a superhero story. It's a story that is in a superhero setting, kind of, you know, in so much as the Fox X-Men stuff is super heroic, which I'm sure Talon has feelings about. I'm not going to get into a fight that easily. Besides, we're close to an hour of audio recorded. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to start a fight this close to the end. I'm going to save that fight for later. Yeah. And also, who even knows what the X-Men are going to be doing a year from now? Right. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I, I love the X-Men. Like, culturally, I really love the X-Men. A whole bunch of my favorite characters start as X-Men. The X-Men as a story is a mess. Like, even more so than some of the really naughty stuff in comics. Mm. Like, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, that and Legion, another, like, X-Men spinoff show that is just mm-hmm. all plot, and it's like eight episodes. That, as a medium, is... I think I think Legion was pretty cool and interesting, and it didn't hinge on any you know superhero storytelling necessities because it wasn't trying to be. the The weird one for me is always Agents of Shield, right? Like mm. fucking fucking Shield, right? And I've I've spoken about how they tricked me last year by giving me the fucking the fucking Ghost Rider, and I have I have managed to not pay attention this time. So I don't know what All they're right, doing. So let's let's talk real brief as a wrap up about this because the real thing we're talking about here is the intrinsic versus in- extrinsic boundary in television and like you know constraints on storytelling before we've even got to talk about what's actually going on in stories i really like but agents of shield is i think almost entirely extrinsic oh yeah for sure like it's just it, it's and if you watch it you can tell and if you listen to the the, the the, the crew who all seemed like nice people being like bullshitted around by their bosses. Exactly. Like, How much of them is being bullshitted around? They want to be so much more. And it's like, I, I think the other thing is like fucking Gotham, right? Like, I don't think Gotham wants to be anything other than what it is. Gotham wants to be an excuse for people to keep turning up and tuning into Gotham. Yeah, Gotham just wants to keep on trucking. Yeah. God, that fucking Krypton show. God, God. Kill me now, I swear. Mm-hmm. That shit. The the storytelling options available to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, it has a, a vast breadth of things it could reach to, and it always was trying to walk the line between grabbing something people would care about, but not something that they would care about so much that it was good fodder for a movie. So you had the dancing around the whole thing with the Kree and the return from the dead, but not ever actually introducing Captain Marvel as a character because eh, we're gonna, we want to save that in the back pocket. Uh, similarly, the, the extensive fight over mutants and eventually the way that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just became a series about primarily appealing to the audience of Agents for S.H.I.E.L.D. because that's the only thing that they knew that they could do that they could get people to consistently tune into. Ah, oh, man. Like, uh, see, I, they had... Deathlock in the early ages, right? And Deathlock is a project that, like, Dwayne McDuffie has worked on. Yeah. And so it, 
just knowing that, I know there's some Deathlock shit I should be looking into, just for knowing that fact. I feel like Deathlock could have been something. I feel like Deathlock had as much potential as fucking Ant-Man, right? So, like, to be, like, you know, a movie, a big deal. And that, you know, that, that Red Wad got shot all over Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so he ain't getting a movie now. Yeah. Uh, same with Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider had two movies, and he had an opportunity to get, he's like, if Spider-Man can have five movies and come back, Ghost Rider had potential. Now he's an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. character. Fuck that. Yep. Doomed. <laughs> yeah. No more Ghost Rider. <laughs> Maybe he'll keep doing guest spots of fucking shit. Oh god, and we haven't even talked about the Inhumans. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> Not so gonna. tune in next time <laughs> when we're gonna ask the question, does Blade belong in the Inhumans? I, motherfucker, I will fight you. I will run <laughs> over there. <laughs> you, you think that's a good point to pause? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That was from the right. rooftops, a podcast about superheroes. That was Clay. That was the real motherfucker. <laughs> <sighs> I will see you next time. <laughs>